Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tavar Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. This Bike Life podcast is brought to you by bikeflights.com, your source for the best bicycle shipping service and bike shipping boxes. Whether you're shipping for a trip or after a sale, whatever your shipping needs, Bike Flights makes it easy. Take advantage of Bike Flights convenient residential pickups and they'll come and get your shipment directly from your home or wherever you're staying. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers for more information. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Bike Life, and you are in for a a treat today because we have Sarah Dykeman with us, and she is a biologist, outdoor educator, and an adventurer. She started beyondabook.org, where adventure meets education, and her goal is to get kids excited about adventure, not material things, and I love it so much. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks. Good to be here. Actually, I I will tell you that one of the most interesting things about your story when you first shared it with us was this ride you did with the migrating monarch butterflies. And so I would love to start there because that's just like so wonderful. I can't wait for everyone to hear about it. Yeah. Well, in 2017, I rode my bicycle and the goal was to follow the monarchs. So I started in Michoacan, Mexico, which is in central, south central Mexico, and I rode through the mountains of the Sierra Madre Mountains into Texas. And in Texas, the monarchs spread out. So from there, my route was pretty much just go where the energy is, go where the invitations lead you. And I traveled all the way up into Canada, made a a loop through the East Coast, and then traveled back down with the monarchs in the fall back back to Mexico. So wonderful. And I know that this is probably just audio. People are probably just listening to audio. But if we ever get this on YouTube, (laughs) I want them to be able to see the visual behind you because you have this beautiful painting full of all the butterflies. (laughs) It's so nice. So what made you decide to do that? Like, what was the draw to the butterflies? I have gone on lots of adventures. And I've been trying, like you said, to connect them to classrooms. And I was actually just trying to come up with my next my next trip. What did I want to do? And I like the trips to have kind of a theme. It helps it helps me kind of find opportunities in in a way. And the, it just kept coming back to the monarch, right? Their migration advances about thirty miles a day. They spread out across the United States. They are happy in both rural America and in big cities. So there there was just like so much opportunity there and. They're also already in classrooms. Teachers use them to teach about metamorphosis. The teachers have gardens. And and so it just all the pieces fit together really perfectly. And so I just said, I'm going to follow the monarchs. And then all the the pieces work themselves out from there. As they do. (laughs) They do. Uh, Was this your first longer bike tour? It was not. I my identity was has been wrapped around my bicycle since I was a kid. My my first bike tour was in high school. It was a thousand mile trip with a with a group that that changed my life. And then I went to school in California at a college called Humboldt Humboldt State University. And all my friends and I were bicycle advocates, and we toured on every weekend. And after college, we 
three of my friends or four of my friends and I actually decided, let's bike to every state but Hawaii. And that was when we planned a year-long trip. And that was when I was like, I want to do something more. And that's when we started doing presentations. And our first presentations were so bad. <laughs> but So wait, you, would, you mean presentations while you were on the road? You would stop and do presentations for schools yeah, primarily? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we would mm. contact superintendents and schools and word of mouth and in our in our interviews on the on the news and people just found out about us and we would just try and say yes to as many of those as possible and we ended up doing our trip and two of the folks went ahead and became teachers it, the trip was that influential mm-hmm. and i was just hooked on these adventures and kind of bringing the adventures to classrooms i after after that trip, then my next big trip was a bicycle tour from Bolivia to Texas on a on a bike, and that was a year long trip. And now this one, Bolivia, Bolivia in South America. Okay, and that was a year. It was a year. It was lots of people, you know, do the trip from the tip of North America to the tip of South America, and I've heard people doing it in ten months, and two years, and five years, and. For me, it's all about going slow and taking the roads less traveled. So we covered 10,000 miles in, in one year. Because you like to find adventure along the way. I do. My my friend, on that trip in particular, there's this one story where I just wanted to be in the mountains. And my friend and I are going down this perfect highway, super beautiful. And I said, no, let's go up this road. And we travel, I think we climbed about 8,000 feet up this pass. I think we made it to 16,000 feet down the other side and I'm looking at our I'm looking at the map and I'm looking at our our passports and we're in Peru and I'm like we don't have enough time. So then mm. we go south and then we travel back over that same mountain range and we end up on the same highway we'd left about 20 miles down the road but it had taken us about 5 <laughs> days to get there. <laughs> and my friend who I was with, she was super patient and willing and she just looked at me every time like it's better when you don't have ideas. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that you I love that you stated that you believe that adventure can really just be found anywhere. It can. And you know, part of part of my story is a lot of people think they need to go to Peru and man, biking in Peru is wonderful, but also so is biking in Kansas and Texas and um when I was biking through the heart of the Midwest, I spent a lot of time crawling around in roadside ditches finding what I call secrets, like all these little bugs that everyone else passes by because they're zooming by. And, and I was there with them. And a, a funny story in, in Texas is I was on my hands and knees digging through the ditch and I look up and there's a police car and someone had called the, the cops because they'd reported a, a crashed cyclist. <laughs> so I stood up <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm okay. Come check out these butterflies. And he's like, butterflies? And he drives off and... <laughs> That's that amazing. happens quite often, actually. That's amazing. I did you meet a lot of interesting people along your journey? Oh, of course. And you know, anyone yeah. that cycles knows that that's where the adventures are found. You mm-hmm. leave your doorstep, and you have no idea whose path you're going to cross. But you know, you're going to cross paths with so many, so many people. And if you give yourself the time and space to say yes to those opportunities, that's those are the stories you remember forever. Yeah. Did you have to train a lot before any of these trips or did you remain in relatively good shape since you started cycling in high school? And so was it easy or did you find that you just acclimatized as you were riding? Yeah, I don't do much planning. I I think it stresses me out too much to imagine all the biking. My 
my goal is to take it slow, go as far as you can each day. I try never to think about the final goal. I never think, oh, I've got a bike to Canada. I think, oh, I've got a bike to this town where I'm going to get new f- more food. And I, in, in preparing for a trip, for me, it's more about just making sure that my, my gear is in working order and and just getting getting excited. That That takes you far. Yeah, I love that. And so are you stationary now? I believe you're in California. Are you stationary now? Yes, this is, thanks to COVID, this is the longest I've lived in any place for over a year. And I kind of have been having um, different sorts of adventures, right? Like, it's sort of random, but I've been carving lots of spoons and really getting in touch with all the trees. And I now can carve a spoon almost, I could carve a spoon with my eyes closed and know what type of wood it is. And it's been mm. really special to to have these adventures where you actually don't go anywhere. Yeah. That's really interesting and, and and commendable that you're able to keep up that attitude of seeking adventure, not having to be in a particular way. Like you're, you, you've you allowed your mind to be open to the possibility of what could be done in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can find adventure in anything, well, then you're always on an adventure, which is great. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I just can't eat as much so, now. <laughs> right, right. Cardio makes a difference. <laughs> um. So for those that are listening that maybe haven't done a longer tour yet and feel the need to plan, because that's common for those of us when you're, you know, first doing your, your trip, you, you know, like either plan and, you know, of course at warm showers, we hear that a lot. People want to plan out all their stays well in advance, but it almost always changes <laughs> along the way. And for those that are feeling the nerves about not having a plan, what advice do you have for people to be able to maybe roll, roll with it a little more? I think that my advice is to go out for a couple nights and not have a plan and just see what happens. And I've, I've camped or I've probably biked five years of camping and never once not found a place to sleep. And, and granted, some of those places are terrible. And, and perhaps my advice would be actually when you're in the thick of it, when you can't find a place or when you wake up to sprinklers or when there's barking dogs or you're on a slope that's a hill, just keep in mind, this will make a great story. <laughs> and like, th- this yeah. is the moment I'll remember, because you will not remember the the cozy hotels. I mean, you'll remember a few of them because they're so exciting <laughs> and worth and you, you needed them so bad. But you're going to remember more of those nights that were hard. And you'll you'll get over the tiredness and the stiffness from a, a terrible night's sleep. But the story will will be with you forever. Right. Good advice. Today's episode is brought to you by bikeflights.com, the leading bicycle shipping service and bike box supplier for cyclists. You'll enjoy low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery with every shipment, and you get preferred handling for your high-value bikes, wheels, and gear. As a brand built around a love for the outdoors, they are committed to reducing environmental impact and every bike flight's shipment is carbon neutral. Join the nearly 1 million cyclists who have used bike flights to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009 and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track all of your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today for more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. So, you know, at Warm Showers, one thing that we like to say is that we are definitely, as an organization, not the entire 
plan for your trip, right? We fill in needs, you know, we help develop community and a lot of our hosts that are available now have, you know, alternate places for people to stay, whether it's camping in the yard or, you know, different safety measures in place. But we don't often fill an entire trip's needs for a rider. We fill gaps. And so what would you say the percentage of nights that you stayed with warm showers hosts versus camping was on, on let's just say the Monarch butterfly trip in 2017? Like what, what kind of percentage was that like for you? The, the Monarch trip was a little unusual because there's this amazing network of people that are working together to protect the monarch via planting milkweed, which is the only food source of the monarch caterpillar, doing gardens of all sorts, and and raising monarchs, tagging monarchs, all these efforts. And so the word of mouth traveled fast, and I ended up only using warm showers a few times, and those were when I needed to be in a, in a specific place for an event or something like that. And I... I'm I'm trying to even think of a specific moment. So, but I've actually used warm showers a lot more in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. But so like on my Bolivia to Texas trip, we probably used warm showers maybe once a month. And Mm -hmm. that was enough that we could plan to be in in a bigger town. Usually it was a bigger town and we could make arrangements. So we knew we'd have a place to stay, a place to shower and we could kind of like do all the errands we needed to do, like go to the bike shop and, and kind of have a staging ground for a few days. And we knew we wouldn't have to get there and, and be flustered as to what we were going to do. Mm. But, but like you said, like, I think the advantage of being in a bike is you have to go to all those places in between. In a car, you can rush from hotel to hotel or from host to host. But on a bike, there's lots of places where there aren't any hosts. And, and those, again, are are where the adventures are. And it's, it's easier, like I said, to have a terrible night's sleep if you know in mm-hmm. three days' time you're going to have a wonderful shower with a wonderful host on warm showers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You, you, you could sort of, you could feel the light at the end of the tunnel exactly. for the stays, for the sleep. And so did most of these trips involve you cycling by yourself? The Monarch trip was my first multi-month solo trip. My other trips, I've been with folks, and I, I tend to notice that I gravitate to people that are very patient. I always kind of consider myself like the 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 crazy ideas lady of the trip, and then the mm-hmm. other people are more the, like, grounding folks that put some sense into me. And also, they're the ones that are a lot better at communicating with other people. And, you know, one thing that all cycle tourists probably know is you answer the same question a lot. Like, where are you going? Why? Mm-hmm. And I noticed with my friends, I could kind of let them answer those questions. And I would actually say the hardest part of traveling solo from, for myself was just always being that front person. And like when you're hosting, always being the, the storyteller and the, the person with all the energy, that was pretty exhausting for me. Yeah, I can understand that. And being a, a female traveling solo has... Um, for some people, has experiences that can be a little nerve-wracking. Did you feel any um, concerns traveling by yourself as a woman? And I, I'm saying this specifically because, of course, we would love to see male, more female cyclists taking the plunge. Um, yet we know that you know we have to be cautious. It's a little different. And there are women that have experienced some challenges on their trips. So did you feel any of that fear? And if so, like what was it like? How did you manage it? I And I was actually just looking at my... Um, at my acknowledgement section of my book and I stayed with 68 families on my trip and only one mm. was I 
a little weirded out and the the host I don't know exactly what happened but he tried to kiss me and I was like no way and I went to the room and was a little like ah what do I do um and then in the end nothing happened and I I did actually feel safe I just I felt a little a little weird and a little icky and a little like unsure of myself for a moment and then, of course, the next day I stayed with two wonderful hosts, or maybe a few days later, and they kind of renewed my confidence. And I do feel like I'm pretty good at reading situations and kind of assessing people out. And you can have a five-minute conversation with someone and, and know pretty good how the rest of the day is going to go. And I'm also good at saying no when people creep me out. But I actually think that being a woman cyclist is has so many advantages. My trip in Bolivia and and to Texas, excuse me, I traveled with another woman, and we would meet up with male cycle tourists that were not getting nearly as much invitations, and people are a lot less scared to invite us to their house uh, to women, and so we would often ask if we could camp in people's yards and end up in you know one of the kids' beds. I mean. A lot. They would give us their bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think a lot of that happened because they weren't threatened by us. And I also mm-hmm. think I slept a lot of nights behind churches. And I wonder if I had been a man or I, I mean, often, and I, we need to address too, if I'd been a black man or a Latino man, like yeah, would right. they have called the cops that no one called the cops on me because I'm a white woman behind this church. And, and so, you know, that's obviously not fair, but at the same time, it's like, well, I, I'm using that that privilege to have this experience and then sharing my adventures and, and even raising that, that point now is hopefully will help people think twice before they, they judge a traveler and invite them in rather than scaring them off so that everyone can have these great experiences. Yeah. I love that you're, I love that you're pointing that out because a lot of hosts um, may feel uncomfortable with what they don't know, especially with people from different parts of the world. And so I think that that's great, especially for our hosts that are single females. I mean, hosts as single females may face the same challenges with males that are touring, whether or not to bring them in their home. And so I think that this is, this is an important conversation. And for those that have been listening to the show for a long time, we don't have a lot of female guests. So I really appreciate, we have a few. (laughs) It's not that we don't have any, we have a few, but I really appreciate you being willing to come and talk about this particular piece because I think it's important for those that are listening that may want to encourage their friends, right? Their family members, their neighbors who are women that are interested in doing a bike tour, but have these similar type fears. Yeah, I'd say go for it. Yeah. So what other advice would you have for someone who hasn't done one of these tours before? And I'm not talking specifically women. I like to get, um, I like to get your opinion, right? Cause everybody has different ideas on how to get started, what to do, what to know. What advice do you have for someone who hasn't embarked on this before, but they can feel that adventure calling? I would say pick a place that you want to go and then just start. I, I think the hardest part of any adventure is starting, I think, and I've heard this actually from other guests that you've interviewed, tell a few people and that sort of, that sort of like plants, not just plants the seed, but it kind of holds you accountable. So you say, I'm going to, mm. I'm going to bike to Florida next month or next year or whatever. And you give yourself a date to start and you tell yourself that you're going to start. And then you tell your friends you're going to start and then you start and the rest will fall into place. And, and I think too, if you go, if you start without the expectation of 
going a certain amount of miles or getting to a certain place on a specific time, then then the adventure is definitely going to unfold. And you know, you you can't it, you can't guess what's going to happen, but you can be absolutely sure. Incredible, weird, crazy, fun, terrible, <laughs> hard, dirty, gross, everything will happen. You just need to start. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. That's good advice. So what's next? What's the next plan for you? What's, you know, what's, what's kind of swirling in your mind? Well, for right now, the adventure with my, the monarchs continues. I, my, I have a book coming out called Bicycling with Butterflies, and it's my first book, and I credit the monarchs for helping me, helping me write it. And, and so right now the adventure is telling that story and, and talking about my book. I'm really hoping to do another, uh, doing a bicycle book tour. And I already have a joke worked out where I'll send books to the venue and, and I'll say, I'm on a bike, guys. Like, you got to buy these books so I don't have to carry them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like a great plan. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but after that, I've, I'm always daydreaming and I'm actually trying to learn. I'm le- working with horses right now. I really want to ride a horse across Mexico and I love wow. I love frogs, so I want to do an amphibious trip that's half land, half water to, to study frogs. And there's just there's so there's so much to do. And of course, I do want to just hang out in one spot and learn more about trees. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You are so connected to all the things right on the planet outside of just humans. Oftentimes, humans are just connected to humans, but you are connected to all the living things. It's a beautiful thing. Right. And cycling gets you there, right? Because you're noticing all the small, all the small creatures that are sharing these corridors with you. And, and you're recognizing like, you know, I think about the monarchs, the monarchs need these way stations, they call them as places to feed for nectar and also for protection at night. And then I'm a traveler and I need the exact same thing. And so I'm seeing these mm-hmm. monarchs and I'm like, wow, we are like not just sharing the route, but we're, sh- we're sh- in a lot of ways we're sharing the same experiences. And energy. And energy. Yep, for sure. Yeah. And we both I love that- tailwinds and we both hate yeah. headwinds. <laughs> right. I love it. Well, um, how can people find you if they want to stay in touch so they can be stay in, like be in the know when the book comes out and follow your journey? Tell people how they can find you. The, the best way is um, at my, on my website at beyondabook.org. Wonderful. We will make sure to put that in the show notes. And Sarah, thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate you sharing your story. And I'm I'm never going to forget the ride with the uh, the monarchs. Like that's it, it's so fantastic. And I look forward to reading your book. Awesome. Well, thanks again. All right. Thank you. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to give us a rating and review wherever you are listening to this podcast because it helps us reach more people, which means we can find more hosts and we can support more touring cyclists. And we will be back. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. This episode of Bike Life Podcast was brought to you by BikeFlights.com, your source for the best bicycle shipping service and bike shipping boxes. Check out their boxes from the small to the large, which is suited for any type of bicycle, whether it's a children's bike, medium-sized bike, fully assembled bike, e-bike, and any other type of gear that you have. Go to BikeFlights.com forward slash warm showers in order to check out the boxes and book your next shipment. 
Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.